Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum, so glad you joined me today. Well, Halloween is coming up, and not only is that my birthday, but this year it also means NWA Salon, which looks like it says Sam Hain is also coming up. I had a little bit of trouble with the pronunciation of that one. It's the next NWA pay-per-view on Fight.tv. It's being held at the Masonic Temple in Cleveland on October the 28th, and it's being hosted by our guest today, the one and only Father James Mitchell. Father Jim has had a unique career with a lot of stops, including the NWA. You would have seen him as James Vandenberg in WCW and as the sinister minister in ECW before becoming Father Jim on his run in TNA and Impact with the Disciples of the New Church and later with Abyss. Really interesting guy. And, well, it just seems appropriate to have someone like Father Jim Mitchell on the show around Halloween. So here we go with my interview with Father James Mitchell. So honored to be joined today by one of my personal favorite wrestling characters of all time, the one and only Father James Mitchell. Sir, welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Phil. How the hell are you? I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, you've gone by quite a few names. Should I call you James? Should I call you Jim? What works best for you? Uh, whatever works for you is fine. Whatever. Okay. Um, so you're hosting the next NWA pay-per-view on October 28th at the Masonic Temple in Cleveland. I'm going to ask you how to pronounce it because I looked it up and I think I was pretty much wrong. It's NWA Sawin? Sawin. Sawin is how it's pronounced. Um, it, uh, the way most people would pronounce it is Sam Hain. That's what it looks uh, like. Probably yeah. because of glenn danzig's band from back in the uh, 80s but no it's uh, pronounced Samhain. it's like ancient uh gaelic that kind of thing so uh yeah uh, Samhain was an ancient uh festival basically uh we borrowed parts of it and turned it into halloween uh over time and so. how, how on earth did they ever get a guy like you to host such a celebration <laughs> well you know when you're the devil at large in the company you know certain things fall into your lap so uh my birthday is actually halloween too really? um yeah so uh what, what do you think fans can expect from this show what what, what what do you what are you looking forward to there um well they've got a, a really good lineup and there are uh, still matches to be added and i'm sure there are going to be stipulations to be added um the first real stipulation match going on is uh that I could know of is uh, the NWA World Tag Team Championship, where blunt force drama with Aaron Stevens will be taking on Mike Knox and Trevor Murdoch in what he explained as a Knights of the Round Table tables match. Nice. Now, you know, the tables, I guess, are going to be like literal round tables that the guys go through. Now, you know, traditionally in wrestling, when you see somebody go through a table, it's your usual six foot table. And if somebody lands in the middle, you know, just inertia kind of helps it break. Um, I would imagine one of those little four foot round uh, tables that they're probably going to have surrounding the ring with, they're going to be really, really hard. You know, that that's going to be a difficult thing to break. Uh, so that, that you can uh, be sure that there's going to be a lot of pain involved there. And I'm sure there's, uh, not going to be any real uh, rules to speak of other than uh, the way the pin goes down through a table. Um, but there, there are other uh, stipulations and specialty matches to be added that have not been announced yet. But uh, also, 
among other matches we have listed would be the uh, women's tag team championship match with Pretty Empowered against Natalia Marakova and Taylor Rising. We've got uh, Colby Carino and Joe Alonzo in the NWA Junior Heavyweight match. Um, Kenzie Page will be defending her title, uh, women's television title against Ruthie J. And the main event is going to be the new NWA world champion, EC3, defending against Tom Latimer. And that ought to be a real barn burner, too, because those are two big, strong guys that uh, can really chop meat out there. So some of the some of the theme of the show is going to be more sort of hardcore themed. Is that the the kind of yes. the direction they're going in with this? Yes, that is true. Um, any of those matches stand out to you particularly? I, and you mentioned the Latimer EC three one is something that might be uh, pretty brutal. Just to kind of any any uh, any thoughts on that one uh, as you go um, into it? Yeah, I mean both of those are big guys. They're extremely talented. Uh, EC three has basically reinvented himself over the last couple of years and uh, undergone a pretty uh, pretty serious body transformation, too. Um, and Latimer is a guy that I've always been impressed with from the day I met him when I first came into NWA at uh, the NWA 73 pay-per-view a couple years ago. Um, it, it's, it's going, I think that that's really going to stand out uh, just in terms of uh, pure wrestling and uh, and uh, just two big guys beating the hell out of each other, you know? Right. Uh, Billy Corgan uh, really wants us to establish what he calls the NWA style, which is more snug, less crazy acrobatics, a um, uh, lot more uh, stiff punching and stuff like that. And, and those are two big guys that can really lay it in. So I'm expecting that to tear the house down. Sounds like a, more of a believable style, more like believability within within the in, in ring action. Yes, yes, exactly. What, what's this run been like in the NWA uh, for you? How well how well do you fit with Billy Corgan and the and the crew there? I love it. I love it. It's uh, renewed my love of the wrestling business, which I had kind of lost for a while, got disenchanted. But uh, it's a great locker room um, and a great product, and you know I really think that people. If you haven't given a shot, given it a shot yet, you really should check out the NWA wrestling pro program, the current one, of course. Uh, right now, he has it streaming on YouTube. Uh, he will be going to other platforms soon. Um, you can catch this pay-per-view on Fight Network. That's F-I-T-E Network. But anyway, to get back to answering your question, um, creatively, it's been great. Uh, one of the things that sets... NWA's product apart from, say, WWE, is you don't have scripted promos. So you have a lot of freedom to be yourself. Uh, Billy does not try to turn you into something that you're not or put words in your mouth that don't belong there. And you can generally tell, no matter how good the performer is, if he's had to rehearse three pages of dialogue, plus remember, you know, uh, what's he, what he's going to do in his match. It, it takes the edge off of both, really. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot of creative freedom with that. Billy does put a lot of emphasis on the promo aspect of it. Um, the roster is great. We have amazing agents back there. We've got uh, people like uh, Tom Pritchard, uh, Jazz is back there, uh, Medusa, um, 
it's it's just a great environment and it's a great mixture of new fresh talent which you've always got to develop and bring up with the older guys being able to mentor them either as in-ring wrestlers or just as agents and uh and giving their creative input um but it's a I have not had a bad day there since I started. Uh, my only regret is I'm not there more often because right now we're on a limited taping schedule because we'll go in like every six weeks or so and right. tape five or six uh, shows. But yeah, it's been uh, nothing but a great time. And it's uh, given, given me a second life, you know? Yeah, and you mentioning before Colby Carino, I seem to remember uh, Billy Corgan and Steve Carino having uh, a, a uh, an angle back in ECW, if I remember right, with a with a guitar on the stage and stuff like that. Did, did you meet Billy back then, or did you meet him just uh, oh, for this run now, or had you encountered him before? I first met Billy um, and ECW in one of our uh, Chicago shows. Um, and I believe that was the night he broke a guitar over uh, Louis Dangerously's right. uh, head. Um, or Sign Guy Dudley, as he used to be known back then. Or Lou D'Angeli, as he's professionally yeah. known now. <laughs> um, yeah, I met him back there. And uh, and he was around on the night that I blew my hand up in Chicago. Oh, wow. In uh, two, late 2000, November of 2000 or so. Yeah, so he's, he's been pretty familiar with you for, for a long time. I, yeah, but it, it's been really cool working with him, too, though. He's uh, He's got a really good mind for the business and an appreciation, <coughs> excuse me, for for the old stuff. Yeah. And I think that makes it different, and that's what makes it stand out. Because, like, if you do everything that everybody else is doing in wrestling right now, you're not – you're not going to stand out. You're just going to, you're just trying to compete with everybody else. The NWA is kind of giving you a different flavor. You know, at least that's how I see it. Yeah. And uh, you know that what you just said is correct um, about being different. Boris Malenko used to say if he was doing interviews, that if everybody else was screaming, he would whisper. If everybody whispers, then you scream, you know? And I always try to tell, wrestlers that I'm mentoring or um, managing or developing in some way, uh, don't copy other wrestlers, you know, look for outside influences and bring them in, you know, look at, uh, I don't know, what, whatever inspires you. So at least it's something that's real and organic. Yeah. But if you take, if you take something different uh, from another platform and bring it into wrestling then it's something fresh you know as as yeah. opposed to you know a fifth generation xerox of somebody trying to be uh the, the rock or rick flair or stone right. cold or something it's interesting I, I believe you're the second person to reference boris malenko promo really? advice on this show the first was uh bill Eady we had on several weeks back yeah, he, he used to manage uh, Edie when he was a superstar. Yeah, and he That's mentioned, just because I was asking him about his promo style a little bit, and he said that, you know, the one thing Boris Blanco always told him was to not say anything that you're not capable of doing. Like, to, to you know, make it realistic. Not that you're going to, you know, kill somebody or, you know, make it really specific in your words so the fans actually believe what you're saying. Yeah, I had, I had an issue with that uh, many years ago in TNA. 
towards the end of my run there. And they wanted me to say something or say something about uh, my guy drinking blood or ripping his neck open. And I argued with them about it. And they said, no, go ahead and do it. So I told uh, the wrestler who was Judas Macias, uh, Ricky Banderas, I said, uh, well, at the very least, because you know you can't do this, you got to make it look like you're going to try to do it. You know, right. look like you're trying to bite his neck or so make the referee get in between it. Otherwise, we both look stupid. You know, right. and on that same show, they had a wrestler talking about uh, plucking somebody's eyeball out and drinking it in a cocktail <laughs> glass. Like that's that's too over the top. Right. That's not going to happen. And I've always in promos tried to make sure that I don't say anything that I can't deliver, you know. And frankly, even if, like if I know we're not going to win, uh, I'll find a way to talk around saying we're going to win. You know, I'll talk yep. about the violence and destruction that's going to happen. So I want, you know, I, I can still put the excitement over, but I also don't look like I was wrong and I promised something I didn't deliver. You know? So I followed your career for a while. I don't go as far back as Smoky Mountain, but I did see you in the Blood Runs Cold stuff in WCW. I enjoyed your stuff in NWA TNA, uh, the Disciples of the New Church against Raven, and then later with Abyss. You mentioned about like the outside sources of your character. How has your character evolved over time, and how have you kind of evolved with it? Well, um, like as I said, my, you know, I don't. I'm not based on any other wrestling manager or wrestling character. Uh, my inspirations came, and this is a lifelong thing from being a little kid, uh, supervillains, cartoon, uh, over-the-top uh, evil characters. I always rooted for them. Hell, when I watched Scooby-Doo, I rooted for the, the bad guy of the week who always got the mask pulled off and would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those meddling kids. And as I got older, I was really fascinated with... Uh, con artist, televangelist, and stuff like that. So when I first tried to get into the wrestling business, uh, the character that I spun on the tape that I sent around to everybody, with no experience whatsoever, mind you, uh, was the Reverend Jimmy Ray Snake Handler, okay? So from there, uh, when I got to uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, uh, when, I was, when I was managing the mummy, um, still I'm kind of a, a holy man, dealing resuscitating a mummy um it, uh, wcw was a slight continuation on that theme with being a collector of oddities uh the sinister minister um again staying on that kind of uh sleazy uh religious con man angle um it, it has been if you look at it from the start there's been a slow but direct evolution and you can still see where the roots of it were at the very beginning. You know, if, if you were to watch a, 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 I don't know, two hour uh, best of compilation from the start to the finish. But every time I go away and come back, uh, I change something a little bit, something in my approach or something in my appearance, my delivery. Um, and uh, it's, it's been, uh, I've been able to stay basically true mm -hmm. uh, to who I am. I mean, the most off uh, off model I would have been was with the blood runs cold thing. Yeah, uh, because you know that was such a goofy story. Uh, you know, of, of 
two uh, Mortal Kombat characters that could have been from outer space or God knows where fighting over uh, Glacier's ancient helmet. You know, it, it was the it, that actually would have probably gotten over better now yeah. than it did then. It, it was the wrong. It was the right gimmick at the right the wrong time. And wrestling's all timing too, yeah. you know, in a lot yeah. of ways. I was talking to a friend of mine recently about that angle, and he, you know, he was like, you know, I didn't really. He's like, I didn't hate it because the presentation was so different from what everything was in wrestling at that time. And if they really kind of committed to it, it might have actually made some money, either through marketing and, and figures and that kind of stuff. What What was your perspective of that time of your career, and also the talents of those performers that you had there? Um, okay, well, all the guys uh, direct. Uh, personally in, um, involved in the blood cold blood runs cold uh, angle which would have been just what five of us uh, uh, Mortis Canyon uh, Brian Clark uh, Ray Lloyd Ernest Miller all really talented guys and the thing was we weren't going to get any promo time to get it over you know but we did stand out uh, the production on that entrance for glacier was ridiculous i forget it was an astronomical amount of money it took to every time he was on tv or at a house show to move that equipment around with all the lights and lasers and the snow coming out of the yeah. sky um so even though we didn't get promo time uh we had a hell of a spot because of course you had the nwo on top and that was going to be the focus and anything under that while you were wrestling they were basically still talking about the NWO angle, you know, right. um, they, they might say, Oh, he's got a headlock on. And then he'd go back to what Kevin Nash said previously in the, in the earlier in the night. But um, what we had such a grandiose presentation on our way out. There's no way you couldn't take notice of us, you know? Um, so it was for its, uh, for where it was, in the in the uh program it was great and for me that was the first time in my life i'd ever made any money you know i jumped into the big leagues for the first time uh which is way different from doing independent wrestling and on such a, a much huge larger scope than doing smoky mountain wrestling um it was uh it was like being thrown into the swimming pool the deep mm -hmm. end of the swimming pool without a, a life preserver on so you, yeah. you had there, there was a, a learning curve, but I adapted uh, really fast because the guys there were all great. All, all the veterans uh, were really nice to me and uh, the referees because uh, I would have I had a bunch of bad habits from uh, uh, doing outlaw wrestling shows before I got there. And the referees really were the ones who helped me out the most with refining what I did at ringside, you know, and uh, it was it was a great time to be alive. It was the uh, Monday Night Wars era. And, uh, you know, wrestling, WCW at the time was the number one rated show on cable TV. So, uh, you know, and all the spoils of war that came with that were yeah. fun. You know, it, it was an amazing time to be alive. And even though the angle uh, didn't go where we would have liked it to go, um, it's, and, you know, a lot of it's, if I go back and look at it now, um, a lot of times I want to cringe when I see it. But it's just like, uh, when you're a kid, you go back and you look at your high school annual and you were wearing uh, contact lenses or had uh, braces or something, you know, right. it was still part of what it took to get you to get you to where you are now. Yeah. And 
And had I not gone to WCW, even though I didn't, I mean, I was in a mid-card act that was kind of considered a cartoon, that at least gave me the clout to say that I was a WCW guy, you know, which gave me leverage to get into ECW, you know? So uh, it's not something I regret at all. Yeah. Canyon is absolutely one of my favorite performers from that era. I know you guys were close friends. What made him such a great talent? Uh, he loved the wrestling uh, business more than anything. I mean, it, it it was all he talked about, all he wanted to do. He had the largest collection of VHS tapes of wrestling I'd ever seen. In fact, I met him through uh, tape trading in the... Uh, uh, what do you call it? classifieds in the back of the observer oh, it turned wow. out he turned out he lived like two miles from me you know but uh just 24 hours a day he ate slept and breathed wrestling and uh i helped him out early but uh he he got on the road took off and uh you know he went to memphis and he, he stuck it out there for a while with ecw for a little while and underneath roll um but he never he never bitched and complained. Sorry. He never complained about anything that he was given. And he was uh, constantly learning, constantly innovating, and, and so helpful to uh, the people coming up behind him because he knew how hard it was for him to get a break. And he always tried to roll out the red carpet and make it easier for guys that he saw talent in yeah. so that he could develop them and help them achieve their dreams. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating, even on the dark side of the ring on him. I did not know about Brian Cage's, you know, relationship with him where, you know, somebody who's currently active now, I would never have realized that, you know, the, the influence that, that Canyon had on him. He was just, you said the word innovative, and they always use that with him, innovator of offense, that kind of stuff. But like, just some of the stuff he was doing in the ring was just, he was just trying new things all the time. Yeah, again, it's something that made him stand out. Um you know, uh, he, if you look back on, uh, if you watch an entire Nitro episode from, say, 1997, I mean, now, as I said in Dark Side of the Ring, so many of the things that he used to do that were unique are just like transition moves in <laughs> matches today, you know? But if you look at him in the context of, say, watching uh, the cruiserweight matches and the, the the main event guys, his stuff was really really unique and he tried to come up with something new every week you know and for the pay-per-views he tried to come up with something crazy you know uh like i don't know if you remember at one time he came, he was the first guy to do the uh I, I don't know what they'd even call it anymore i know several teams stole it where uh they did like a three-man suplex oh like the tower so of like, Doom kind of yeah deal. yeah that that was invented by uh by mortis and wrath and I, I think they did that on uh, Ming and Barbarian. I forget which one they did it to. But he was always coming up with stuff like that. And it's funny you mentioned Brian Cage. Um, now, I had seen Brian Cage in passing through Canyon when he was really young. And then fast forward to 2018 or so, I'm in a locker room when I was uh, coming back and doing those little cameos for Impact. And there's this big monstrous guy in the locker room and I walked up and introduced myself to him and he said, Oh yeah, yeah, you know me. And I looked at him like, how in the hell do I know him? And he said, Oh, I've, I've changed a little bit. And so when you go back and you look at that uh, dark side of the ring where Kenyon put him over in his hometown, 
Yeah. He's a skinny guy. That's yeah. the guy I knew, you know, and, and now he's the incredible Hulk. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you look at the, you know, Canyon inspired at him and told him, you know, you've, you know, if you want to get over it, you, you've got to improve your uh, physical appearance. You know, you, you've got to look like a star and whatnot. And, uh, you know, Brian did well for himself. He, he did. And then uh, we actually had uh, Swerve Strickland on uh, last week. And the one thing he noted about Cage, which I thought was interesting, and it kind of relates back to Canyon, too, is he said nobody realizes that Cage has a really innovative mind for the business. And I kind of wonder, like, you, you know, you see every week he comes out and he says, who better than Cage? And it's like, well, well, right. I think I know where, where a lot yeah. of that came from. So as different as you are, is there anybody, you mentioned not really being based on other managers. Who who were some of your personal favorite managers? And is there are there any traces of them anywhere in your work? Um, the, um, well, I mean, you know, like I, I love all the Mount Rushmore managers. I love uh, Bobby Heenan and uh, Cornette, Paul, Paul, uh, Paul Heyman. And uh, I mean, all the classics, all, the three wise men of the East from uh, the old territory days in New York, uh, Blassie, yeah. Albano and the Grand Wizard. And I think um, spiritually, I'm probably closest to line to the Grand Wizard. And funny thing is this. I used to see the Grand Wizard in the magazines when I was a little kid, but I lived in South Carolina, so we did not get WWE programming. Um, I went back, you know, when I got older and started getting access to all the tapes. Uh, there, there's a lot of similarity in our uh, delivery. Yeah. <laughs> the sound of our voice and, you know, the vocabulary and whatnot. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't because I was trying to copy the Grand Wizard, but I, you know, what happened with me, my delivery comes from when I would read comic books. And of course, I told you I loved the supervillains. The cartoon, uh, superhero cartoons that were on TV were very cheesy because they were meant for children. So you didn't get the, the, the heels in the cartoons were stupid, you know, and they couldn't do anything or particularly be vicious. So when I would read the comic books and I was reading uh, Dr. Octopus or the Green Goblin or the Joker, um, cutting promos, monologuing as they all do before they finally get knocked out by the, the hero. Um, there was a sound I heard in my head, the way I imagined that delivery to be, because I certainly wasn't able to get it out of the cartoons. And that's pretty much what I channel when you hear me fully get into character. That's me channeling the voice I heard in my head reading Marvel comics when I was eight, nine, 10 years old. Yeah, I, I, I totally hear the Grand Wizard now that you're saying that. You know, I, I, I like watching old classic wrestling when I have a chance to, and watching some of his, you know, McMahon, some of those yeah, kind of promos yeah. he did. Like, I always love that delivery. It's always, uh, it's, it's, it, if they ever come up with like a WWF like biopic, I'm gonna, I'm gonna vote for you to uh, be in the Grand Wizard uh, role. <laughs> well, there. you know, when I was in uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, um. You know, the Grand Wizard used to be called Abdullah Farouk when he made right. the sheep, right? Yep. Okay, so uh, Cornette put a fez and sunglasses on me, much like Abdullah Farouk. Now, of course, I would have never been able to have seen Abdullah Farouk because that would have been TV from the 60s right. but or late 60s. But, uh, you know, it was fun doing that because I could – I remember I could uh, – in those days, of course, it's very green – 
But the minute I put on those sunglasses and that fez, there was a complete personality transformation. Like right. I called down the muse, you know, I became that other person. And, and over the years, um, that's it's, at times I feel like I have pro wrestling has caused me to develop a completely separate functioning personality, you know, like, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, whatever, but the multiple personality disorder kind of thing, right? Because the gentleman in the red suit, as they call him, uh, he's far better spoken than I am. You know, uh, he, he thinks differently. I mean, when when I'm in that zone, I guess it's like a method actor or something. Um, I, I'm completely possessed. It feels like a, like some something else has come over me. You know, um, like I mean, look, you're listening to me right now. Uh, my voice might be gravelly, but this is not the guy you see on TV. You know, right. that, that's I am completely. I just I don't know. Uh, and that, that's one of the fun things about wrestling. And when I got out of it for a little while, you know, I really missed. It was almost like I, I lost a friend. You know. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, Okay, go on with what you're saying. I got lost. No, I was just gonna. We were gonna move. I was gonna move on to something we call the three count. Now it's gonna be three quick questions okay. and your answers. So, first question: uh, I hear that you have hosted karaoke, and I am a uh, karaoke regular myself. What What is your go to song? God, uh, depends on how screwed up my voice is. <laughs> <laughs> um, my voice has had to change a lot over the years. Um, let me just think real quick. If I had to uh, come out swinging, uh, uh, devil with a blue dress on, or something like that. Nice. <laughs> something, uh, uh, something uh, gravelly, scratchy. Have, have you ever had the opportunity to do karaoke with Bill Apter? Yes, in fact, I did. Uh, me too. Uh, <laughs> I. Uh, Greg Price brought me out a couple of two or three times to do karaoke during his uh, mid Atlantic wrestling conventions. And, and Bill was there. Bill's quite the showman. And he, I he runs it himself too. Doesn't he somewhere? But I don't know. He does a few, he gets booked to do some on some of the conventions he does. But the, one of the times I went with him, I was fascinated because what he does is he talks to everybody in the room before he goes up and sings that uh -huh. way. When the, when the host says, all right, now here we go. We've got Bill. Everybody in the room just goes, Ah, it's Bill. This is great. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's just he's really fun. To, I, I did uh I did say it ain't so by Weezer when I was with him and yeah. a friend of his, and somebody who was an ECW fan came up to me and said, Hey, did you do that because of the Sandman and uh Mikey Whipwreck thing when they played they played the video to that song? And I said, That's exactly why I did that song. Well, was, you know, you said it, we were talking earlier about bringing things from outside sources. Uh, one of the reasons my karaoke business has been so successful for the last two decades is I didn't act like a karaoke host. I act like a pro wrestler. So mm. I'm selling booze like I'm selling tickets to the the uh, cage match in the Omni, you know, yeah. and I brought that kind of energy to it and whatnot. So that made me stand out. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I would love to do karaoke with you someday. Well, we'll have to get you down here. Yeah, All right, seriously. question number two. Next question. Uh, any funny real life places you've been fully dressed as the uh, sinister minister regalia in? Uh, court. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, on a dare. Um, I had to deal with a, uh, uh, traffic issue in uh, Georgia. 
I had to come back to Georgia to go to court for it. And uh, I think it was Tony Mamaluke dared me to show up in full regalia. And I did. And the judge was not happy oh. at all. He was looking around the room, you know, just kind of scanning whoever was there were like, I was out in the, on the bench, but there, I guess there were people on the side that had to do something that were about to go up next. And he was scanning the room and he turned, he did a double take and looked at me. By the time I went up there <laughs> to plead no contest, oh, he barked and he threw the book at me. Um, so yeah, that didn't work out well. Right. And, uh, you know. And then uh, last question, aside from uh, currently, what part of your career did you think was the best representation of you? Probably the run. It's kind of a tie. My feud with Raven, mm -hmm. with the new church, because that, that feud really became more about just me and Raven, you know? Um, and I, in fact, that's where I hit my stride, I feel, where every day when I went into work, I know what I'm doing now, you know, and I've got this. I, I enjoyed that. Somewhere between the start of the Raven feud on through to Abyss. The Abyss run was great. That, that was a lot of fun. He was a, he is a good friend, uh, but just a, a hell of a worker and, you know, left pieces of his body all over the place. You know? I used to always tell him, man, you're working too hard. Don't kill yourself. Yeah. But, I was going to uh, ask you about him before. It was like the first time you met him and just uh, his mind for the business is something that people seem to respect an awful lot. You know, it's, He's another one of those guys that must get possessed by the muse because if you meet him in real life, he is the sweetest, nicest, like borderline insecure person you've ever met. You know, always looking to please, looking for approval. And then he gets out there and starts snorting and bucking and, you know, slicing people open with barbed wire. Um, and he has a super mind for the business. He was unofficially agenting backstage before he ever actually had the, uh, a title is such an impact. Uh, yeah, really, really good talent. A lot of fun. That was, you know, uh, and that was a time when uh, you they gave me a lot of freedom. They would give me bullet points and just let me, you know, run with them, you know, uh, because when they try to hand me uh, scripts in those days, um, I would just basically toss them out and say, reduce this to three points, you know, tonight in the cage, this is what's going to happen and leave it there and let me fill in the blanks. And that's how I do best. And that's that run with Abyss uh, between the Raven and Abyss thing. A uh, lot of highlights there. And of course, like you said, I mean, you can't count now, but uh, because it's not over yet, right. we're still in the middle of it. But uh, it's NWA has just been a great experience. Um, it's I feel like I'm, I'm part of the business again and uh, before we go let's also remember to uh, get everybody to buy the pay-per-view mm -hmm. NWA Salon. Uh go to nwatix.com um, it will be available on Fight Network, F-I-T-E, uh, or Fight TV. Fight.TV, um, yep. Fight.TV. That's uh, October 28th, Cleveland, Ohio. Get your tickets now. It's sure to be one spectacular night. Father James Mitchell, thank you so much for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I've really enjoyed this. As I said, I've been a fan of yours for a long time, and I was really looking forward to this. 
Well, thank you, Phil. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank Father James Mitchell for joining me today. I'd also like to thank Mark Kruskal from the NWA for setting this up. Follow me on Twitter at Under the Ring and on threads at PJ Strum for guest announcements, clips, links, and have a great week, everyone. Yeah.